If at any point either of you want some Lucky Charms with no milk, just dry, let me know throughout this cast. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Dry Lucky Charms. <laughs> you ever had Lucky Charms straight out of a bag? <laughs> That's not a balanced breakfast. Dry Lucky Charms? I want like a melodrama like, honey, I'm home. Hey, sweetheart, <laughs> I got you your favorite. Dry Lucky Charms. Oh, mom. <laughs> wow. That's right, kids. Dry Lucky Charms is dry. (laughs) No milk. You can eat them on the go. Get rid of that cow juice. Oh, no. It just makes it wet. I don't know. I don't know. I don't don't know. Are you tired of soggy cereal? (laughs) Try Lucky Charms dry. Are you tired of it being wet? (laughs) (laughs) I am. It's easy. Just reach your hand into the box and pull out your favorite cereal. Nice. Drink less milk. I don't even know, man. I don't know how to podcast. What do you mean? You guys are like 100 episodes in at this point. Or how many? Has it been that long? How many is it? It's funny. The last time you were here, Trevor, it was over 100 episodes ago. (laughs) (laughs) What was the last? I am so sorry. I'm sorry. Mm, No, it's fine. Wow. I don't even listen to podcasts. Cool. So, hey, guys. Tonight, (laughs) let's, without any further ado. So, where are you guys at? What do you guys think about rebooting the podcast? (laughs) Yeah. Right now. Right. (laughs) Trevor is a co-host. Let's um, start with episode one. Are you on like 200 episodes then? It's getting close. Yeah. Wow. We're on cool. like 180. Congrats. The last episode we had you on was episode 75. That was a fun Sh- one. Massylvania. That was a good one. And now this is episode 177. There you go. It's been almost 100. It's been more than that. <laughs> <laughs> if my math is correct. My math no, certainly is It's correct. been really close to that. You said Trevor was 70 something. So 75. I'm episodes. 75 years old. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So we've only had Trevor on once, right? It was for yeah, Pennsylvania. Yeah, but we've in our defense, which isn't unnecessary. Defending against the podcast, a case, yeah. a case against a case for Stephen. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we have put out a lot of episodes this year because there's been a lot of content. Dude, shameless for real. We were just talking about like pandemic content. I was calling it the what was it calling it? The content storm, content hell. COVID. COVID content. COVID. I know what you're talking about. Content 19 or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. It's insane how much content has hit over the past, I don't know, four, five, six months. Yeah. It's like everything that was put on hold finally filmed and then was put out in the beginning of 2022 or like the middle of 2022, which is a great segue into this podcast episode. Yeah. Gabe. Yeah. What are we doing today? We're doing a podcast. About <laughs> Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Season four, volumes one and two. Or just all of season four. And we have a very special guest with us in the studio. Yeah. In the flesh. Back at it again. Who is it, Steven? Trevor. Should I say a last name? Yes. Gerard. <laughs> no, don't say it. Okay, Trevor. Oh, don't say it. Hey, how's it going? It's going good. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Good to have you. Yes. It's always a pleasure. Let me know if you get hot or cold or need uh, water. Thank you. <laughs> if you feel nauseous. Or lucky charms. I need some lucky charms dry, preferably. <laughs> this is a very special episode for me because we're talking about something that I love very dearly. From a bygone era. I don't even know how to begin talking about it because I don't think we've ever had a Stranger Things episode before. This is the first one. Because since we started the cast, 
we have not had a season of Stranger Things. Was season three 2019? It was July. It was July 2019. Yeah, I think he's right. Season yeah. three. It came out on 4th of Fourth July of weekend. 4th of July weekend, yeah. And it got delayed a bunch, like just talking about production of season four mm-hmm. because of COVID and the fact that they were writing a longer season, which was always planned, according to the Duffer Brothers. I think they said that season four was potentially going to be the longest season because they they jam-packed it full of a lot of stuff. But we started our podcast in 2020 in January before March. Yeah, Yeah, we started right before the pandemic hit. The Oscars rush. (laughs) Never forget the opening 10. I always think 2019 because we were still covering content from the 2019, like blood into that year. Yeah, we did. Well, 2019 was such a good year. For for content? For content, yeah. Trevor. Yes. What's up? Yo, how's it going? Do you want to... Do you want to talk about your special connection? Who you are? I'm Trevor Gerard. I'm a friend of Stevens and Gabe's. Yes. Um, I designed some pieces for the show this season. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, a couple. Um, I designed Eddie's, well, not Eddie's shirt, but the Hellfire Club shirt. And I designed uh, a Dustin's D&D Scantron shirt that he wore with the help of amy paris who did all the wardrobing sweet and yeah that was my contribution to season four yeah that stuff was rad thank you the hellfire club logo is iconic taken off yeah it's a little mind-blowing like it's hard to grasp it, it's hard for me to grasp yeah as someone who is purely just happy for you i <laughs> i want to make it known i am not jealous at all. You look jealous. Do I look jealous? A little green. <laughs> You're sweating. Uh, well, it's because I'm always hot. Clenching <laughs> your fist. Um, but it's crazy. It's I'm crazy. Like, what's really crazy, we, we talked about this on the Castlevania episode a little bit, but like, I remember you drawing stuff in high school. Yeah. And the, I mean, the weirdest part about it is I feel like your kind of like hand-drawn sort of mm-hmm. look mm-hmm. is so familiar to me. Like you even, grew up with it. <laughs> yeah, even with even with like Caton stuff, yeah, I'm sure. like, oh, that's Trevor's. So, but seeing your kind of, I, I can like tell that it was like drawn by you everywhere. Like it's every couple of Instagram pictures, there's like a Hellfire logo being thrown at me. It's uh, double weird for me because it's it just feels like my 12 year old self drew it, and yeah. I'm watching. I'm just seeing my little doodle like yeah. all over the place, and uh, yeah, it's surreal. So do you, you yeah. want to talk how that came about for sure? And like, what was the, uh, the prompt? That yeah. They gave you? I don't have all the dates perfect, but I believe it was, I'm going to say it was about January of 2020. Okay. I think it was 2020. Yeah. Basically Amy came to me. I'd already done some stuff with her in the past. Some other shows that she had done. This is the, the lady that does the wardrobe. Who's a friend of mine. She came to me again. Um, I did a shirt for season three for Dustin. It said, don't bug me. I'm reading it. had like a little caterpillar on it. It was in the show for like five seconds. It was in the finale of season yeah, three. It was, which was amazing. I mean, that in was the wrap up part. I think. Yeah, it yeah. was, that was like such a highlight for me just to even get to be a part of a show that I just genuinely love yeah. cover to cover. So um, when she came back, it was like, okay, here we go. This is kind of the real deal. So um, her prompt to me was, uh, we have a new character. He's an 80s metalhead guy, and he is the leader of this D&D club. And this is kind of what he looks like. This is what he's into. The, you know, We talked about some bands. Uh, we talked about Dio. We talked about Van Halen. 
And she was just saying, basically, this needs to look like high schoolers put it together, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of the process. It was like, I, I came up with some stuff. It looked a little too professional at a certain point. I had to kind of go back, like I said, into kind of my 12-year-old mind, my 13-year-old mind, and just kind of just scrawl it out. Like the the guy, the demon head has like three teeth in mm-hmm. between his two fangs, which like doesn't make any sense from an anatomy standpoint (laughs) but like a kid doesn't know that right so i made a point to like give him just like three teeth because you're not thinking like oh humans or creatures are symmetrical there's always you know you're just making stuff that looks sick right Mm -hmm. so um it was things like that i was trying to really get that visceral like spirit of youth kind Mm of childlike approach almost like a oh this would be sick if the the demon had had this yeah it's like i basically just kept asking myself what would be sick this would be sick that would be sick i drew heavily on iron maiden's number of the beast album art um Mm -hmm. there's like eddie who's like the iron maiden character is being puppeteered by like the devil i guess and the devil has kind of these like bat wing ears so i used those ears and then i used the eyes off of uh Merciful Fate has an album called Don't Break the Oath, and he has kind of those, like, cat eyes. The pupils are missing. Um, So I kind of Frankensteined some things from the era that Mm -hmm. maybe Eddie would have seen. Or even, um, you know, if another member had done it even before he had come along or something, like, it just would have been top of mind for them, and they would have just been drawing their favorite character from their favorite metal albums kind of on their notebook or something, and that was essentially where it came from. Did she mention anything about the master of puppets at all? No, she, or that he played guitar or anything like that. She did mention that he plays guitar in a band, but I don't know that she knew that. I mean, she might've, but I I didn't hear anything about that. There was a, there was very little to go on. It was very much like, yeah, he's a metal head. He's into D and D and yeah, just make it look sick. (laughs) It's called hellfire health. Yes. What about all the like the twenty sided die and the little yeah. ancillary little pieces on the side of the, the demon head? That's a yeah, that's that's great. I had done some stuff, like I said, that looked a little bit too much like band merch from the era. It almost looked like a Venom shirt or like a Dokken shirt or yeah. a a Dio shirt, and it looked too much like what a professional band at the time would have. So she kind of came back to me and was like, they want it to look more youthful or more naive. Um, that became a really important aesthetic. And I think that's kind of part of the power of it too, is like, it just looks kind of earnest right, in that way. Right. Um, so um, I just, I happen to have, uh, I, I used to play D&D. So I happened to have the uh, original copy of the monster manual. And I went and looked through that and I Wicked. found, that's so yeah, sick. <laughs> <laughs> super sick. Um, I went and found some weapons in there and just kind of, added that because there's like there's a you know there's like an old motorhead shirt and it has it's the war pig shirt and it has kind of the skull and then it yeah. has their lettering on an arc above right. the head and did you also come up with the lettering for the hellfire club did yeah you, you hand drew that mm-hmm. okay yeah again the um, was this it wasn't like a uh, pen to paper a pencil to paper it was on like an ipad or something yeah i mean you know just to demystify the whole thing yeah, i drew it all in photoshop <laughs> oh, okay. but i the way that i work is very much linked a lot of what i'm trying to do is give hand and give earnest quality to everything i yeah. do so everything i'm doing is mostly mimicking texture and grit and i'm i'm really really careful to kind of always pull back to that just because i think that's what people 
that has the gravitas sure. and that's what people kind of connect with. Sure. The cold computer kind of font stuff yeah. doesn't seem to have as much traction. Totally. So yeah, the font is custom. Everything about it is is super custom. And I mean, I'm saying that like it was you know, incredibly complicated. The reality is, is it was just a lot of careful decisions on how to kind of doodle, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and he's, I need to doodle in this way. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't it be sick if the, the dot in the eye was a flame <laughs> and just stuff like that, that yeah. a kid would have wanted to adorn right. the graphic with. So sure. the dice and the sword and the mace all kind of came from this, again, this kind of kid mind of like, I'm into metal, I'm into D and I'm into fantasy. And for me, it's all one world and yeah. I don't see any borders. I'm just like, I want to do a solo on top of my trailer in the trailer park and there's bats and red lightning in the background, you know? Yeah, totally. Spoiler alert. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to go through the whole season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there was one more thing I was going to ask. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Those are good questions. Were you a fan of Stranger Things before doing art for them? Oh, yeah. Of the show? Oh, yeah. Big time. I think Um, I was with you on the beach when our friend was like talking about the show when it first aired like the first season yeah and he was talking to us about it and neither of us had seen it yet okay i think but we had seen the trailer sure and he was like he basically said it's a show that i would have created if i had created a show it's like exactly yeah up my alley talking for you or talking for him oh yeah phrase that weird i can resonate with that a lot Mm -hmm. i I definitely feel the same way. And um, I would even say this this moment or this graphic or even just the character Eddie is sort of like the character I've always wanted to see portrayed. Right. Like the nerd metal, tough but sensitive, really. Not really that tough, kind of right. like. So, yeah, that's funny. I honestly don't remember where I heard a Stranger Things from. Oh, but okay. um, I've been a fan of it ever since I found it, which, sure. which was season one. So, yeah. 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 Season one was awesome. 2016, I think. I'll check the little ledger. <laughs> I don't remember. It pretty much blew up right off the bat. Yeah. It was uh, very early, if not the first, in this kind of like 80s genrefication thing where yeah. like now it seems like really commonplace to, to sure. kind of do period pieces from yeah. kind of more modern eras. But yeah. at the time it felt super novel. Yeah. I'm sure everyone already knows that. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The nostalgia fair kind of aspect behind it. Yeah. 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 So I guess we should take it back a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is Stranger Things? The question. Gabe, could you give a quick premise? Like the hook for the show? Yeah. The elevator pitch? Yeah, a couple sentences. I couldn't do this. This is what Gabe's good at. Yeah. That's not true at all. No, you are you really good at this. You know how terribly long-winded and no, rambling. every episode, you always have like a, <laughs> a good way of summing it up. What is Stranger Things? It's a Spielbergian mm. adventure set. I think it starts in the mid-80s. And it captures kind of a darker version of the that 80s wanderlust where a group of kids in middle America, a small town named Hawkins, Indiana, they get thrust into this epic adventure mm-hmm. because there's this mysterious government sponsored lab in Hawkins that is trying to dig into the netherworld that they call the upside down that has supernatural yeah supernatural elements, elements. and they run into this because this hapless group of young boys run into this enigmatic young girl who they call Eleven she has escaped from this lab you're so good at this uh, and she is like she can't speak Nobody knows what her deal is, except she has these psychic abilities. Telekinetic powers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She, she can move can, things with her mind. Exactly. She can use the force. Mind bullets. 
mind taker. And then they get pursued because they... You're just they, recapping season one now. Yeah. She, she comes into their lives. Well, this sort of just resonates throughout the rest of the show. Sure. They're pursued by shady government types, yeah. G-men, yep. uh, not the least of which is Papa, who is a Matthew Modine's character, who is mm-hmm. the head of this secret organization. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're technically a part of the U.S. government. But. And so it takes different shapes over the seasons, but it's always shapes. a form of, it takes different stranger things over the seasons. There you go. <laughs> it gets, the shapes become stranger. Things. Um, Things. <laughs> but that's that's basically what it is. And the main hook, I guess, would be like there's always a, a singular entity that's pursuing them throughout the season. In the first season, it's the Demogorgon yep. of D&D fame, mm-hmm. which is this humanoid monster that opens up its face in this giant Sarlacc-like flower. It's Yeah, flower-like kind of. Sarlacc pit It's face. scary looking. Then they have Demodogs. And then there's the, the Mind Flare. Yeah, and the Mind Flare. And then now that we're that entering... Plays through seasons two and three. And now the end game of the show is approaching, and we've met the big bad, who has supposedly Vecna. been pulling the strings this whole time, who is called Vecna. Vecna. And everything's coming full circle as we find out he is the first of the especially gifted children to have been in this program. Yep. He was the number one. Spoilers. Yeah, yeah, full spoilers. We're here. I should say, too, that the names of the entities, the creatures are not the actual names of the entities or creatures. They're given by the protagonists that we're following yeah. based off of their... Mapping on. Yeah, of D&D culture. Right. It's simultaneously framed through the kids' Lens. and their D&D experience, yeah. but it's also inspired by that in, for the show. Yes. Which is a great way of bringing it to eye level because we these things don't have names. Yeah. yeah. They're just... They're new and they're just com- monsters from complicated, which is something that like you know is heavily taken from ET. Sure. In ET, everything's filmed from the kids' eye level. Yeah. And you're seeing things from a specific perspective that really shapes everything that you come to know, including the upside down. Mm-hmm. Which is like another dimension that sort of mirrors our dimension that the town of hawkins that we've come to know but it's it's darker the skies are constantly cloudy and thundering and there's a bunch of uh, dust particles floating around all the time tendrils and they they dark call it, matter right i'm not sure what it they is. say in this one that it's not dust but it looks like dust but it's oh. like dark matter I, I didn't know that dustin said it anyway that's cool yeah i didn't make sense something <laughs> like that they call that the upside down it doesn't actually have a name the Duffer Brothers, who are the creators of the show, have said that in season five we'll learn what the Upside Down actually is, which is kind of cool. Well, they sort of start fleshing it out in yeah. this season. Yes. It seems to just be like a void that takes shape once, what's his name? Number one. Henry. Henry, thank you. Gets thrust into that space by Eleven, and he's, it seems like he created it, or he uh, gave, gave shape it shape it. through his own experience in Hawkins, right? Yeah, I yeah. think my hunch is that he used his telekinetic abilities to literally give shape to yeah. things that were were formless yeah 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 like God. almost like cthulhu or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of lore sure yeah sure and correct me if i'm wrong but everything's in the upside down is locked it seems to be set in the time which was like where season one started there's no time i think yeah that's, or but or that's my theory for like where everything is placed in the upside down it seems like it it's from the beginning of season one right right yeah, it seems like which it's was stuck 19, in time. 1983. Yeah. yeah. Which is when Eleven first opens the rift. In 83, yeah. Right. In season one, not from when she launched yes. Vecna. In yeah. That was revealed this season. Yeah. 
Uh, the one thing I'll add to your little summary, good job, by the way. Sure. Well done. Um, Thank you very much. Is that there is a large horror element mm-hmm. to the show, but it's sometimes as campy, it sometimes is gory, but more often than not, it's paying homage to a number of works, mainly film, early 80s, 70s films that, you know, there's so many to pull from that the Duffer brothers, who are, again are the creators, writers, directors of the show, along with Sean Levy, that they love and that they are pulling a lot of that inspiration and instilling it into the show. Season one, for example, takes a lot from, I already said E.T. and Goonies, but also things like Poltergeist or It, Firestarter. They've said that they're huge fans of Alien, the Alien franchise, The Thing. Yeah, especially in season three, The Thing was yeah. big. I would say Hellraiser, too. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of Hellraiser in there. But there's so much homage. Every season seems to have, it seems to pay more and more homage to something new. Yeah. Both in the horror genre from that era, but also the pop culture films from that era. Like in season three, we get Back to the Future. And uh, season two, we had Ghostbusters. Yes. And this season in particular pulls a lot from Nightmare on Elm Street, which is... Uh, really hefty it plays, plays very hefty. a large inspiration into what we're seeing on screen like all the first three movies especially are very much in there they even got robert hey, england. yeah robert england that was awesome what's his name yeah i've just totally <laughs> we blanked should, we should pull up uh the cast really quick we could talk about who's stars in this show top billing still belongs to winona writer really yeah she's always the first name that's been up on the credits. Well, she also like was a kid actor in the '80s. Yeah, so that's a yeah. weird like totally folding back on itself thing. It wouldn't surprise me if she was like the first person that wanted maybe. Sure. Very iconic. Her love interest slash the dad of our show is Hopper, played by David Harbor. We love him. Yes, here. <laughs> a lot. He's been in some stuff. He has been. My fa- I think he was in Bond. He was even in Quantum of Solace for a hot minute. Anyway, and then we have our cast of kids. Finn Wolfhard with Mike Wheeler. Gaden Matarazzo is Dustin Henderson. Caleb McLaughlin. McLaughlin? McLaughlin, I think. It's Lucas Sinclair. And Noah Schnapp plays Will Byers, who is the one who was taken in the first season. And then Millie Bobby Brown is 11. Max, who joins in, I think, season two, mm-hmm. is Sadie Sink. And her brother, Billy, played by Dacre Montgomery, yep. who sacrifices himself. R.I.P. Billy. I liked Billy. Me too. We also have reoccurring hero, question mark, Paul Reiser <laughs> as Dr. Sam Owens. Oh, okay. Who sort of takes Papa's place in the second, third season, but he is a much nicer individual. Yes. I already mentioned Papa, Martin Brenner, played by Matthew Modine, as the mysterious leader of this mm-hmm. uh, scientific expedition. Yeah. This season we had Maya Hawk as Robin Buckley, who's been around for a little bit. Since season three. Yeah. And Brett Gelman as Murray Bauman. I love Murray. What's Eddie's name? Eddie, in real life, his name is Joseph Quinn. Yes. He was a great addition this season. Loved him. So good. My favorite character, for sure. Easily. I was really rooting for him. Did you already say Steve and Nancy? Yeah, the teenagers... The older crowd, Joe Keery as Steve Harrington, Charlie Heaton as Jonathan Byers, and 
Natalia Dyer as Nancy Wheeler. Yeah. Bit of a love triangle there. Big time. I would just like to shout out Sean Astin from season two. Yeah. As Bob. Samwise. Worked for Radio Shack. Yeah. Also Erica Sinclair. Yeah. Was Lucas's sister, played by Priya Ferguson. And then the big bad this season, who was credited for a long time as Friendly Orderly, (laughs) (laughs) to not reveal spoilers. Sure. This is Jamie Campbell Bauer. He is Vecna and Henry. And you imagine if they had just put him down as number one in the season, like two credits, (laughs) it would have been (laughs) spoiled. Yeah, I wonder if people would have caught it. Yeah, probably. Oh, someone would have. Someone would have dug it out. Uh, We should also shout out maybe Tom Walaschiha, who played Dimitri Antonov. He was a big part this season, uh, helping Hopper out in prison. I'd like to shout out Miss Wheeler, (laughs) Carabuano. (laughs) Shoot thing. What? She your little yes. Come on, your little thing. <laughs> Come on, Miss Wheeler by the pool. Stop. <laughs> and then the little girl. Which I just want to say this because n- nobody even probably knows, but the, there was a young girl that played young Eleven with a superimposed Millie Bobby Brown's face on, and she was in a lot of the episodes. Her name was Marty Marie Blair. Just want to shout her out. Nice. Just because she was like playing little tiny yeah. Eleven. Oh, a couple other side characters this <gasps> season. More Argyle. <laughs> Was Eduardo Franco? Oh yeah, sorry, dude, righteous, my dudes, my dudes. Yeah, and Jason Carver was played by Mason Die. He was the that's right crazy jock who ended up rallying the town. Yeah, the Duffer Brothers said that their first thing that they did when they finally sold Stranger Things to Netflix was hire the casting director because the casting was so important with this show. Carmen Cuba. And she just killed it. Nailed it. Was she a big, She was like stuck really the important to them. This show was like contingent upon casting and they wanted to cast a lot of unknowns and have like a very real feeling. They wanted to cast kids that were all different but very, very genuine and I think they really nailed it. A lot of the kids came from uh, Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Interesting. Good job, Carmen. I also want to shout out really quick the music. Oh, yeah. Kyle Dixon and Michael Stein have just blown up since Stranger <laughs> Things. Love those one. determined synth notes. Those Because the music is <laughs> like incredibly important to this show. Yeah. yeah in a massive way. Become yeah. iconic in its own right. I right. would say so. And then there's also like a huge uh, soundtrack that's constantly playing. Just like a bunch of 80s hits, tracks, mm-hmm. sometimes 70s, but often 80s. Do the Duffer Brothers direct every episode themselves? No. no. Okay. They normally direct about two to four in a season. Sean Levy directs about two, and then they have a few other people that hop in there. Hmm. I think in its entirety, they've only had seven directors throughout the four seasons so far. Why do you think they break it up? Uh, well, they have to okay. for production, because if they were to direct every episode, basically the way that scheduling works trying to get it out at a certain time it just doesn't add up because they have to focus on the edit they're basically directing it from pre-production all the way through Mm post-production and directing is more than just kind of showing up during production and so the whole production process seeing it from the beginning all the way to the end is a pretty difficult process so the Duffer Brothers I think really pick their episodes they usually direct the the season starter and the finale episodes mainly. Mm-hmm. And then Sean Levy kind of picks up for the secondary or tertiary 
episodes. Yeah. And then there's a couple other like right in the middle, and then the Duffer Brothers come back to kind of create sure. the finale. Seal the deal. Yeah. It's it's a huge process. Like, did they do the first episode of this season? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. They did the finale as well. Yeah. I feel like the first one hit really hard. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Talk about the horror notes. Yeah. All right. We should talk strictly about season four, which is why we're here. Yeah. There's a bunch of things happening. We're coming off the tail end of season three, which Gabe was kind of saying uh, the mind flare embodied Billy. They had to fight it. Elle loses her powers. So there's multiple aspects happening. There's, there's kind of four different groups in this season. One group is Joyce and Murray trying to go get Hopper from Russia where he ended up. Everyone thought he was dead, but he's still alive. (laughs) Um, Can I ask a question? Yeah. At the end of season three, was he teleported to Russia or was he still in that facility and the Russians just came in and then transported him to Russia? He was teleported to Russia. That's how I took it. It made it seem like he was... Yeah, I think I thought it was the other way. I thought he just like fell on... Onto the ground. Yeah, and Joyce didn't even bother to look down there yeah, for him. Yeah, whoops. And then, like, they left. Russians came into their own facility, found him, and then right. like, brought him back. It's it, I don't know. That was how I took it. I took it uh, how I said it. Gotcha. The, the, the former yeah. way. It definitely seemed Not from the end of season three like he was teleported because he just yeah. shows up in Russia and the teasers. I figured because the whole season in, in that story arc, they were already getting into it. <laughs> they were talking about how the Russians had access uh, right. and it seemed like it was there because they, in Russia, they had all of those monsters yeah. there in Russia. So it seemed like they had some sort of gate. They also had that sand mind, uh-huh. mind flare. Do they ever show a gate though in Russia? I was going to say, no. why wouldn't they have just teleported back? You think, I, I think, feel like they would have I think it's because they closed the gate in oh, season three. Okay. That's true. Sure. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. No, 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 it's fine. That's our group one. Yeah. Group two. I guess would be the Californians. Yeah, dude, radical. <laughs> what do they call the pizza place? Surfer, Surfer boy, boy pizza. pizza. Surfer boy pizza. Yes. I love that it's a franchise and they're all like stoner idiots. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> nice guys though. Yeah. Oh, stand up dudes. <laughs> After the presumed death of Hopper, Elle became a quasi sister to Will and Jonathan and was taken to California. They wanted a GTF out of Hawkins after season three because they were like, we don't want to be here anymore because <laughs> there's too much crap going on. <laughs> so season four picks up in California and Elle's having a difficult time at school. Uh, so is Will. There's something going on with Will or not really. Yeah, what is sure. happening with Will? Will is super gay. <laughs> <laughs> it is not for sure yet, <laughs> but everybody knows it. Will is in love with Michael. But Michael is not in love with Will. <laughs> yeah, no, Mike could not read between the lines there. Not even close. But his brother could. Cat's out of the bag, Will. Yeah, his Will. brother through the rearview mirror yeah. could pick up on what Mike couldn't pick up on three inches from Will's Mike face. Mike is such an idiot. Yeah. Anyway. Mike is the uh, wooden plank of the show. <laughs> That's actually great. For sure. He's necessary, though. I he's think, the heart. Well, I think he's he is the heart, but I also think he kind of represents a real kid, a real boy at yeah. that age. Yeah. That's Not fair. thinking about all the global you know issues, just thinking... I just miss my girlfriend. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's it's totally real. smitten. I like that they kept him nerdy, though, which kept him humble. Anyway, so... Did you already say Mike joins them? Mike Mike joins them in California, 
Jonathan is off getting stoned with this new friend he has named Argyle, who works for this pizza place that they already mentioned. While Mike joins them, there's a debacle at a roller skate rink. Uh, Elle gets made fun of, and she decides to take action on the people who were making fun of her. Carrie style. Yep. She smashes her face with a roller skate and Ba-bam. gets taken away. Mm-hmm. Which goes to the third plot line, which Group. story arc, which is Eleven gets taken to Matthew Moody and what's his name in the show? Papa. Papa. Martin Brenner. Sure. Papa's. She gets taken out in the middle of the desert somewhere in to the facility, Arizona yeah. or something. Yeah. With Nina. Yeah. With Nina, which is a machine that's trying to re-give her her powers. Which must be an homage to the '80s band Nina. Oh, I didn't even see. Think this about is that. this is why I wanted you here. Ninety-nine red balloons. <laughs> Oh, and they're. Oh. I think it's about Russia. Bundles. It's definitely about the Soviet Union. Uh, so yes, yeah. But Nina's like a special. It's like a special tank, sensory deprivation tank. Okay, with TVs in it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a turbo depriva- deprivation. CRTs. All is it sensory it. deprivation if there's television happening inside? It's yeah. very special. Yeah, why, it's like here's a memory you didn't remember. You why have. are there televisions on the inside when her eyes are closed? Like she's not. <laughs> I don't get it. Maybe she just she <laughs> it feels cool, it though. through her extra sense. It did look cool. Look good. And that's part of the show. Look very 80s. Yeah, yeah. Very 80s. Yeah, and so she's trying to get her powers back with Papa. Pop up. The other doctor. I was going to say Papa. Owens is Arrested Development. Owens has really nice as a balance to Brenner in this season. Yes. I was actually surprised by his character in this season because in the past it seemed like he had no connection any longer with Matthew Modine, Papa. Mm-hmm. Was was it's really hard for me to say. Was Papa. Owens in season three or was he just season two? He was season two and he was in season three briefly. Mm-hmm. I think when they brought him back, it was a bit of like, a, oh, he's back. I I, I felt that way. It was like, yeah. oh, this guy again. And yeah. Papa was not in it since season one. Mm-hmm. So Correct. we had both these guys come back. And I think picture. he was presumed dead. To be yeah, honest, yeah. he was dead. Yeah. We saw him, but it was never actually confirmed. We left off with him being chased by a demogorgon, I think, mm. or something like that. He got away. Yes. So power is trying to get back, and then the th- last and final people are all the people in Hawkins, which is a lot of folk. The rest of them. Yeah, it's all the kids. It's a huge cast. Yeah, it's a massive it's cast. A lot to keep track of. We had. Lucas, Dustin, Nancy, Erica, Robin, Steve, and Max. Yeah. And who's very important. Then Eddie, Eddie, who's introduced this season as kind of like Metalhead. Yeah. Metalhead. I would call but him also like thrash metal. Kind of nerd. Satanist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> epic <laughs> epic metal or thrash metal, I would say, is his like subgenre. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See you you would know far better than I. But Eddie very quickly became a fan fave. That dude. Even from episode one, I was like, yeah. the guy that they cast, Joseph Quinn, just bleeds charisma. He transformed. Like, it was insane. The actor does not look yeah. or sound like a metalhead yes, at all, at but all. he's so convincing in the yes, show. Yes, exactly. They nailed it. They really nailed it on so many accounts. Even just like from him being kind of a teddy bear and being secretly sensitive, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. super, super true to life, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His scene with Chrissy, I think, was... Like, immediately you knew that this character was really good. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where he's about to, like, he's she comes for drugs because she's uh, tormented by Vecna. 
Vecna's curse. And th- at this point, all you know about Eddie is that he's like the kind of quirky, the goof off outsider kind of. Yeah, because he all he has is I think the one or two scenes in the cafeteria where he's just on top of the table, and, and he's like, held back. We know that. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's like, like super senior in his early twenties. Yeah, and you're just like, oh, okay, this guy. And then he has the scene with Chrissy, and you're like, holy smokes, there's way more to this character. I know. I can't believe they killed him off. I'm getting ahead of myself, but yeah, yeah, yeah it broke my heart. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think he was introduced to kill off. Yeah, I, th- I, think I, the, I think the Duffer Brothers, <laughs> I fully agree every season gets the, one. The yeah. Duffer Brothers were like, we want to introduce a character that the audience can fall in love with so that when he dies, it makes it that much more impactful. Totally agree. And uh, it's unfortunate because they actually, maybe people don't know this, but they added Steve in season one. Right. When he became that character, he wasn't supposed to survive season one and they rewrote it because they liked the actor so much. Yeah. And I kind of wish that they had done that here with Joseph Quinn. Yeah. It, Steve's transformation is really, really nice because mm-hmm. he very naturally becomes likable, mm-hmm. which is very, I feel like really hard to do to take the villain and kind of like yeah. make him jovial Yeah, all mm-hmm. of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They did it though. Mm-hmm. Team dad. Yeah. <laughs> so that crew is kind of in the thick of it because Hawkins is sort of the epicenter for all this nonsense is happening. This horrific, crazy nonsense. And they're trying to put the pieces together about what's happening to these friends of theirs. They're being essentially when one of these deaths happen, it happens to Chrissy in the end of episode one, they get lifted into the air. Then all their arms and their, their legs break and then their eyes pop. That's basically it's it. It's visceral. Their jaw breaks too. It, oh, yeah. their jaw breaks. It's gnarly, gnarly, yeah. gnarly. And I think a lot of people who had watched the show for the first three seasons up to this point after episode one, I had a few friends of mine who texted me and said, I am cause they knew I'm a huge stranger things fan. And they were like, I'm done with the show. Tapping out. And I was like, yeah, I understand, but let me explain why this is happening. <laughs> and maybe I could help you understand so that maybe you could keep watching. Cause it probably is not going to be like that for the rest of the show. <laughs> and, and it wasn't, <laughs> wow. there was a few instances that were, but it wasn't as, gnarly as that one instance Um, yeah they can't keep up that momentum the whole time so they just use it as like a device to get you through a couple more heart-wrenching situations i feel like yes and that plays into sort of the the quote-unquote kind of demonic possession sort of aspect of it Uh that plays into the thing we talk about or that they have talked about the inspiration for a lot of this season which is called satanic panic Mm mm-hmm Oh, yeah. Oh, that was in my prompt Okay. when I was creating the nice. piece of art. Can you yeah. explain a little bit about what that is? <laughs> the Satanic Panic? I've researched it online, but I, I think... I'm trying to... Is it the Cincinnati 3? Uh, you would know better than me. I'm trying to remember the name of the town or the city. I only have a very general definition. And so are you talking about the most expensive court case in the United States history? I think so, yeah. I don't know. I, I can't remember what it was. But. It was that, and then it was like the Tipper Gore, like parents were cracking down on explicit lyrics, yeah. and like D. Snyder from Twisted Sister had to like he like defended himself in court. Famously, like this lead singer from a metal band had to like defend himself and all of his like metal compatriots against kind of this uh, these parents. I guess I don't know how to it exactly but um there was a lot of stuff in that era trying to maintain morality and kind of keep the status quo on what is right and wrong and what's safe for our kids and all that stuff and i think it manifested into a big hysteria and 
metal became kind of the scapegoat and D&D became the scapegoat and was was D&D actually a part of the real satanic panic? Yes, absolutely. It was really? Oh yeah, for oh, sure. Oh my gosh. For sure. I had no idea. Game. Yeah. I thought I thought that was a twist that the No, 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 put that's on. super real and and I would even say it carried into the 90s with Magic the Gathering too. Whoa. Like where Magic the Gathering was like also like And then that carried over into Harry Potter. It did it did carry into <laughs> Harry Potter and there's other things too that have kind of there's been wakes and things that have kind of rippled out from that, but it, they're absolutely D and D and then, uh, you know, metal for sure. The music was, was a big part of the satanic panic. I obviously wasn't there for it. I was too young. I was born yeah. in 87. So, but I've read about it and obviously a lot of the music I like kind of comes out of that era. And yeah. So, um, so, but Satan wasn't actually behind these things. No, he, uh, <laughs> yeah, true. he went into the witness chair at one point and yeah. Satan did. Yeah. He said he had nothing to do with it. They're so. like, no, it wasn't me. Yeah. It was all you guys. Yeah. They went on to blink 182 and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then pop became the devil. Yeah. Yes. It's funny how modern that stuff still feels though. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I think maybe with I, a little I think bit different context, but I think it's been just, well, some people would have said like this should have happened a long something this aware should have happened a long time ago but in some ways i think for some people it's just now able to be talked about i mean yeah i have friends that said episode one was too demonic for them Mm -hmm. right which if you watch the show there aren't demons in the show it's almost a satanic panic in of itself it really is because i mean if you really dig into the show it's all about enhanced humans Sure. And traveling to another dimension, there really is nothing in it that's biblical or that kind of comes back to any, religion. you know, Judeo-Christian yeah. religious kind of imagery. It's it's all really sure. aliens, honestly. I guess is a better way to put it. Sure. Interdimensional aliens, at least. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, it kind of has its own little satanic panic, I would say. Yeah. Some of the reasons for the friends that I have that they're like, "Hey, I'm not watching this show anymore." It's because of that. And I think the Duffers did a very specific thing with episode one where they said, we're going to draw a line in the sand with this episode mm-hmm. and we're going to, we're going to cut out some of our original fan base. But the other thing that happened was they gained a whole bunch of new people too. Sure. And I know a bunch of people that started watching this season and didn't watch before because it was a little too kid friendly or a little too family friendly. Right. So I, I think it's been a lot of trade-offs. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, it's been successful. So. Yeah, that's actually a good point to say uh, the season starts. And again, it was a little bit delayed because of the pandemic. But the kids are now a, a lot older this season. And the Duffer Brothers very intentionally took this season more seriously in um, tone mm-hmm. and how they created a lot of the elements in the show and sequences that we witnessed. I feel like the first couple seasons were very Goonies, very E.T. Yes. Where now it it is more Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. It is more... So, like, if you tuned in for the wonder moments and the kind of kid adventure, what did you call it, wonderlust, kind of? Mm-hmm. If you tuned in for that, it's still in there, but it will get, not overshadowed, but it will get tinged with darkness coming from this other more mm-hmm. sinister route. So, it's a calling moment, you know? It's like, a, mm-hmm. it is a line in the sand. and But I do think the rich drama is in there still. Sure. And to me, at least, it's worth seeing it through to see how that plays yeah, out. Yeah, I, I agree. It's redeeming in that way. I totally agree. And the stakes are higher too, so I feel yeah. like it feels even more visceral. Yeah. Disney would never do it. <laughs> Thank God. Killing kids? 
like but brutally. honestly like i'm glad that disney wouldn't like i'm glad this isn't a disney show yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. that's what i'm saying we need it's, a show like this it's all the better for it sure and it's bigger than it's ever been by the numbers right so obviously it's yeah. it's proven itself as like this is yeah I the think, right direction for the show i think it's pulled in numbers that a shut down netflix on midnight when volume two hit right i heard that it broke the service. it actually broke the service <laughs> and which is huge because netflix is probably the largest streaming service in existence right now uh the oldest right at least yeah yeah which is why i think it's the largest because yeah. they've just been doing it for so long sure but secondly it had something like i forget the actual number it was seven billion seven and, trillion and up until this point well, 7 billion minutes watched or something in the uh-huh. first week. And up until this show, the highest it's ever been has been 6.8. So it broke. It's been breaking records. It's, it's by far Netflix's most successful. And this is all even funnier, like in a more meta way, because Netflix was under some heat the past few months because they dropped a bunch of content because their stocks went down and there was a layoffs a bunch of layoffs and stuff at netflix but i hope this is a bump in the road for them you know and that they can recover to some extent well they only got one more season so well they have well no they don't because the duffer brothers oh that's right have now they're doing a spinoff and they're creating their own in a similar way to like what the last airbender guys did they're creating their own little studio within netflix the duffer brothers really uh to make stranger things spinoff and they're also making a live action Death Note series. The Duffer Brothers are because really? it's never been done. Yeah, we. What? How does Willem <laughs> Dafoe feel about that? I don't know. <laughs> Just have him back. Yeah, he was good. Do it again he was with Willem. Good. He was probably the best part of that show, that movie, that little yeah. movie. That's interesting. I didn't know any of this. This is cool. What do you know? What the spinoffs are? No. Yeah, no one does. I think no. they said it would be not very different from what the show be we have. Eddie's band camp or no. anything like that. Uh, Damn uh, it. Uh, 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 <laughs> Eddie's band goes on tour. It's all Eddie. Yeah. No, I have no idea. Bring yeah. Eddie back. Hashtag. Um, I do want to say really quick, I want to read my very generic definition of what the satanic panic is since we were there you go. summing this up. It's a fundamentalist demonic witch hunting of groups and peoples that were maybe into fantasy or magic or occulty type things. <laughs> nice. That was yeah. my little definition of it. I think I think witch hunt sums it up. Mm-hmm. It's a mass of people coming after a small group of people and they hold them responsible. Yeah. Usually it was the older generation like mm-hmm. spearheading that, right? Well, well wasn't that at the yeah. at the peak or at the like the burgeoning conservative movement, right? At the mm-hmm. 80s with Reagan and all those guys. Yeah. Who were like cracking down on like the moral yeah. moral majority crisis of America. And it pulls from like really gothic elements that were specific to the 80s. There's actually a really interesting term that I heard about that describes stranger things. It originated in things from the 80s specifically called suburban gothic. And it takes that into account. Have you heard of that term? Well, just because you told me like a month ago. (laughs) Oh, but it's super interesting because it's basically like a whole subgenre of like American suburban stories and films that showcase a hygienic veneer, but also have like a really seedy, dark underbelly. Mm -hmm. Like like best best represented by Blue Velvet with David Lynch. But a definition of that would be a subgenre of gothic fiction, art, film, and television focused on anxieties associated with the creation of suburban communities, 
which is really interesting to me. And to me, like E.T. definitely comes out of that suburban gothic kind of thing. Yeah, now that you're... I've never thought of E.T. that way, but E.T., the alien himself, is hunted for being different. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. Particularly in the United States and the West, the like westernized cultures, from the 50s, 60s, and onwards, the feelings of alienation and the uncanny usually represented in being alone in like suburban neighborhoods, that kind of thing. But that stuff is really, honestly, some of the most fascinating stuff. And even more interestingly, the reason Spielberg focused on the suburban a lot in his earlier work specifically was because he grew up in the suburban cul-de-sac kind of community where he felt often alone and that's how he got to be so good with film Mm. shout out to the film he has coming out later this year that's almost like a biopic about his life called the fablemans is he directing it yeah he's directing it Mm. it's gonna be epic but but that whole suburban gothic idea and that that movement that feeling that you get i read a few articles online that talked about how stranger things when season one first hit like you were saying earlier really kind of reinvigorated that genre that subgenre, and of nostalgia and that idea of like small town suburban 80s kind of culture and nostalgia anyway I really, I think the reason Stranger Things has been so successful and that so many people love it is because a lot of the people who grew up with that are now adults and they can watch the show in deep appreciation and it makes them feel kind of like a kid again or like young again and they're tapping into something that really hits home for them. It's a big uh, consumer demographic as well. It's huge. It's really huge. Can oh, and it's it's the that. same reason. Like, I mean, today, that the day that we're recording this, uh, Thor: Love and Thunder just came out today. That they're using soundtracks like "Sweet Child of Mine" and stuff. That like, it's it's our culture. I feel like is so centered around that nostalgia-driven. It's our moment, Stephen. <laughs> That's 30 somethings. Yeah. And then, but like, <laughs> I always think of like, when is this going to end? Like, there's got to be, it's going to get tired. Right? It's going to get no, tired at will. some point. It's it not, will. it's not going to end. <laughs> it's not going to end. In the next couple, in, well, yeah, maybe not for our generation. It'll end and then we won't know how to talk about it. Oh no. Right. Whatever's next. They'll be like nostalgic for TikTok and we'll be like, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> Sometimes I think like, is our generation, our whole generation going to be known for just nostalgia wanting yeah the yeah. desire for nostalgia and like wanting to go back what what is any generation though everyone's trying to get back to the good old days probably not generation z <laughs> they seem to be on some new shit that's true, true. that's a good point give them P- give them a decade they'll yeah. find a golden age in there somewhere well yeah maybe the early 2000s becomes like oh yeah. god i remember those days i miss iCarly. the iraq war <laughs> i miss iCarly. <laughs> Statement of the episode so far. Unironically, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so, so, okay, that's the fourth team. They're trying to figure out what's going on. that was a detour. Yeah, that was a super detour. (laughs) Back to the show. They're trying to figure out what's going on (laughs) in Hawkins and what's happening to these kids. And Nancy and Robin get kind of caught on. There was these murders that happened in the 50s. Remember, You got to remember that we're in the 80s now. And they break into an insane asylum to talk to Robert Englund who plays this character that supposedly murdered his whole family in this sort of like really American Gothic looking mansion and he's played by Robert Englund who played Freddy Freddy Krueger in the original Nightmare on Elm Street which is like another tie to Nightmare on Elm Street that was a cool moment and he he doesn't really have much to say but anyway they continue and then 
it's revealed through Eleven's storyline when she's in the sensory deprivation tank with Nina that this whole thing that happened in her past, which was this massacre at Hawkins Lab, that's what the episode's called, I think episode seven, that what happened is she essentially was being manipulated by the number one, the person who was the first telepathic, telekinetic individual. It sounded like Sesame Street all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. Eleven's being attacked by the number one. <laughs> one. I am the count. The one. 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 Yeah. Unsuspecting orderly. Yeah, unsuspecting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so ominous. Okay, so anyway, she realizes she was being manipulated by him. He has crazy strong telekinetic powers. He manipulates her into taking out this device, an inhibiting chip, so he hasn't been in touch with his powers. She rips it out of his neck, and then he gains all of his powers back, and then they have kind of like a battle, and she sends him into the Upside Down. We see this all for the first time, and she's like eight or nine when this happens, maybe? Yeah, and so that was episode seven, and then some crazy stuff happened this season as far as production went. They had to divide the last couple episodes up because they they couldn't get them done in time. And they split it into two volumes. So that was the end of volume one, was the end of episode seven. And then volume two began, and we kind of have the finale of all of that stuff that has transpired. There's a lot of character moments that transpire that I'm just going to gloss over. We'll touch on them in a second. But essentially what ends up happening in the finale episode, which is two and a half hours long, it's like a long movie essentially, is Max, who has been being hunted by Vecna this whole time to be his fourth kill. Or third. <laughs> she started as the third before the... Oh, yeah. Mm. It's true. And but she's, she's now the fourth kill. Yeah, yeah. To be his fourth and final kill to take over Hawkins, apparently opening portals. Every time there's a death, we find out that there's a portal opened, and Vecna's trying to open four portals to be four points to kind of split Hawkins right down the middle. And Max decides to kind of like sacrifice herself. There's a whole thing with music and the connection to music, and that is sick in of itself. I think this season like really focused on the importance of music and how it can like save you in a sense, which is really cool. <laughs> but shout out to uh, Running Up That Hill by Kate Bush. <laughs> Ever heard of it? <laughs> The number one song never, in the West, right? Never want to hear one's... it again. <laughs> Just kidding. No, it's 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 took off, but an amazing song. But yeah, we find out that Vecna is um, trying to kill everybody and Full take gates. over and come back. And L has to fight. She after she tears down a helicopter out of the sky, she joins back up with the Californian crew, and they take over Surfing Boys Pizzas Pizza Parlor to put her in a kind of like a mock sensory deprivation tank so she can what she calls piggyback into max's mind from i think they're in arizona or nevada something like that yeah one of those one of those desert states from that one of those states all the way to hawkins indiana where max is while max is basically putting her life on the line so that steve nancy and robin can sneak in from the upside down and kill vecna while vecna is distracted trying to kill max that's the plan. Anyway, there's a mind battle between Eleven and Vecna. Mind fight. And uh, stuff happens. And Vecna, at a certain point, almost kills Max. Like, like doesn't really finish a job. Her eyes don't pop, right? Her jaw doesn't break. 
but her all of her arms and her legs break. She's kind of messed up. Yeah, she's she's probably <laughs> never gonna skate again. I don't know. She gone. Yeah. She could. Well, she yeah. We leave her as like a vegetable. We'll see. But anyway, Vecna gets blown by a bunch of shotguns and lit on fire by Steve, Nancy, and Robin. And then at a certain point, Max then dies for like a like a minute. And, but within that minute, it was the portal that Vecna needed to split Hawkins right down the middle in, in the actual reality, in the in the non-upside-down Hawkins. It gets split right down the middle, and then we leave it in this place where the last half hour of the two-and-a-half-hour episode is everyone shows back up in Hawkins, Hopper, and Joyce, who really weren't doing much to help from Russia, show back up. <laughs> so lazy. <laughs> Over there in Russia, just trying to survive. Yeah, yeah. That was, I mean, I liked a lot of what was happening there, but in the end, it didn't really have much to do. They didn't. They didn't do much to help the kids in Hawkins. Yeah. But they come back from Russia. The kids come back from California and Arizona, Nevada, wherever they were. <laughs> maybe, maybe Utah. Who knows? Something. New Mexico. Yeah, desert. Maybe? Yeah, maybe. And anyway, they come back, and everyone kind of joins up. And Max is in the hospital. She's in a coma, and. L went into her mind and can't find her. She doesn't know where her soul or her mind is. She's kind of lost in there. And all of her arms and her legs are in casts. Then Hopper comes back. There's a really sweet reunion between Hopper and Eleven, who Hopper is Eleven's surrogate father, which is really nice. And then the dark matter dark particles, kind of starts creeping in and falling out of the sky like snow. And the last shot is them kind of looking, I think, back toward Hawkins at the four cracks in the center as things seem to start blending into what looks like the upside down in the real world. And, and, and also Will's kind of sensing some stuff on the back of his neck with the goosebumps, <laughs> like, sense. like he was doing in yeah. season two. Will sense tingling. Yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly. And the Duffer Brothers have said that Will's going to have a huge part in season five as well. So that's where it leaves it. And yeah, overall, I love this show. It's a great show. <laughs> I, I, was watching it. I watched it twice this season, twice. And I, there are moments where I'm just watching it, just like grinning ear to ear, thinking, I can't believe I have this show. Like it, it mm-hmm. makes me feel so good. I just love the tone that it creates. Mm-hmm. I agree. There's like moments in the show where you kind of just don't want it to end. Yeah. Which is funny because it's a horror show. Yeah. Which is like typically you're, you can't wait for it to end. Yes. But I think, I think the horror elements. And Gabe, you could correct me if I'm wrong, because we talk a lot about horror and horror-adjacent stuff here on this podcast as, like, some of our favorite stuff tonally for, like, what's happening creatively within, like, auteur filmmaking. Yeah. But I feel like horror is always the hook for, like, a horror film or, like, horror-adjacent film while something, like emotionally or larger is happening underneath and so that, that seems new though that seems like the way horror is being done now but yeah. i don't think that's how horror was really done in the 80s yeah no I, I think you're right what's great is that like because we've already decided this is a horror show we get to go there yeah but we can also go everywhere in between mm-hmm. and it can be as heartbreaking and as touching and as sweet and as i mean there's like a couple moments like there's a moment where they're using the light bright to communicate that was so There's sick. a moment where they're going through the portal in Eddie's trailer for yes. the first time. Yeah. And they get this full like Goonies vibe. Yes. And like, I'm sure they've like studied 
parts of the Goonies yeah. to put this together because it just it, it brings up this emotion of like wonder and this childlike kind of wonder thing that happens. Totally. And you wouldn't typically put that in a horror show, sure. but it's available because we're already going to go as dark as we want to go. Yeah. So then we can also go to these brighter spots too. Dude, that's a good point. I mean, yeah. And you're also just pointing out some really awesome moments from the season. I Too soon? <laughs> no, no, no. There was just so many cool moments. And the, the other thing about the season was that it was so long. Like every episode yeah. was about an hour and 15 minutes. The final episode of volume one, which was episode seven, was an hour and a half-ish, maybe longer. Hour 40. And then volume two was only two episodes, but it was like four hours of content. And I was just ecstatic the whole time. I was just elated. I loved it. <laughs> I I was just like, just injected into my veins. I love it. Just put it right in me. Same. Never stop making Stranger Things. Yes. I mean, but I do want them to stop. Yeah. one yeah. season you will. <laughs> and I mean, a, a good example of that, and, and I think I've talked to you a lot about this, just friend to friend on a personal note, but, yeah. but season three, like the whole 80s mall culture. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I... <laughs> <laughs> I die, I die. Like my my brother and I are just the Wetzel's so... pretzels and the orange Julius. Yes, and, yeah. it's like spiritual cocaine. <laughs> it is. No, I'm not kidding. I like my version of heaven would be dying and would living be a in mall an 80s, 80s mall. Yeah. Oh my god! With the brown tile and oh the fake god, plants and amazing. planters and stuff. Just just put me there. Yeah, bury yeah. me in that mall. <laughs> <laughs> Come here to this cathedral. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's what I want. Yeah. But no, Stranger Things. I feel like every season has had like a thing mm. or like a specific gimmick, a hook that has made it that re- that really entrenched it in something that was notable, both as like a nostalgia grab, mm. but also as just the creators, the Duff Brothers, maybe Sean Levy or whoever else is writing the show, having a really sharp finger on the pulse of, of what was happening and like what was cool and what they remember about the 80s and the mm. feelings that they had. And, and like how it, it maps onto today's yeah. climate too. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I feel like they're not just showing you an old McDonald's Happy Meal. Yes. They're also giving you the feeling of opening it and smelling the hamburger inside or something. Yes. It's like they get it's more the, than just the, yeah. the the cheap like nostalgia reveal. They also get the spirit behind it and yeah. why it was evocative in the first place or something. Mm, evocative. Yeah. Which, is, I mean, yeah, I literally, I have, I have Happy Meal toys in this room somewhere from at least the early 90s. Yes, exactly. And and you're right. No, it's it's the way that it's directed. It's the way that it's presented. Yeah, that is the allure, mm-hmm. and it's so divine. Divine for for for, <laughs> some, for someone absolutely divine. for someone like me who like. And th- this is this is okay. My my actual true say what you really think. Sensitive <laughs> like feelings. Like be honest for be, once in your life. Okay, for <laughs> once. Oh no. My actual like at the core of me feelings the the deep parts of me yeah be gentle there's a in p- your bowels there's a part <laughs> <laughs> deep within my loins there's a there's a part of me that well i i believe that as a child grows up <laughs> wow yes as a ch- as <laughs> ready a ch- where we're starting <laughs> as a child grows up there's a point within a person's life when they no longer are a child 
there's like a bubble that breaks and they become an adult and they have to face the harsh realities of what it means to be an adult. And when that happens, there's also a sense of longing of like wanting to be a child again. And that longing to be childlike or to remember or to live back in that time, you know, it's like the same thing Uncle Rico thinks in Napoleon Dynamite. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I bet I could throw a football over the mountains. Over the mountains you know, yeah. it's like, it's it's that idea that I can, I can never go back there. Uh-huh. I can never be that innocent again or that new in a bubble where everything is like wonderment. Yeah. And that is, I think, why nostalgia is the powerful tool that it is today. I think because a lot of people have been confronted, especially in our day and age, with a lot of really intensely harsh realities that they just don't want to accept. Yeah. And they want to go back to a time that was simpler, mm. bright, or, or brighter. Or they thought was simpler. Yeah. It yeah. felt simpler. Yeah. yeah. Br- brighter happier you know even like brighter in color that's what i mean the water was sweeter yeah the water was sweet food tasted better and 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 obviously there's there's a whole element and tinge of idealism that is just completely Uh outlandish does it's not even it's not even realistic it's 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 just a it's a pipe dream to desire that but it is fantasy and that's yes what this show is is it's it's fantastic it's it's almost like escapism at its best and that's what that's what stranger things is for me personally because I have that deep longing to like I, I I just don't I don't want to be an adult like today like yeah. I I want to I want to watch Stranger Things and pretend like I'm not an adult right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm gonna get some popcorn. Yes, play with my Legos. Sure. Yeah, I I had a moment with episode <laughs> one where I felt seen. Um, I <laughs> that's awesome. I in all seriousness though, there's this that that montage where Lucas is playing the the game mm-hmm. the basketball game right and then they're playing the D D game and it's right. this amazing sort of like i'm sure they were referencing revenge of the nerds right like here's sports and the whole town cares about sports right. and here's other sports that the town doesn't care about but it's equally as important to these people sure and there was sort of this like you're talking about fantasy and nostalgia when you relive your childhood and i didn't have the childhood of the 80s i mean i honestly grew up more like in the 90s but mm-hmm. There is a feeling of like, I wish those moments, I wish that time I played D&D or the time I played Legos or the time I played Super Nintendo for the first time felt as big and as important mm-hmm. as the town basketball game did. Mm. And I, that moment for me just felt really, really potent. Like mm. they're so in this board game. They're so in their community as as nerds together. And they're it, it almost doesn't even matter what else is happening in mm. the world. They're just with each other hanging out having a good time and it's the show did a great thing of like putting them both at the same volume the basketball game and the D game and it just like it it worked really well for me i don't know if i'm the only one but. no that's actually a great point i mean i think when you're in the middle of doing something like from a camaraderie aspect with your friends that even if it's nerdy there's a sense of like invulnerability or invincible or importance or something. Yeah, importance that like it makes you feel like, oh, this moment is beautiful and I wish, you know, I could make a tiny little home here <laughs> to come back and, and visit it, you know, like a vacation home whenever I want. And But no, the, the the juxtaposition, like you were saying in episode one between... The jocks and the nerds. Yes, where, like they're playing the D&D game and, and the basketball game is happening and it's showing 
almost the same thing, but from two different groups. Mm-hmm. One is like literally they're in the school somewhere in a, in a classroom mm-hmm. and the other ones are just on the court. That was fascinating to me. So what is, I'm, I'm forgetting. From a directorial standpoint. Yeah, yeah. So Jason and Eddie are new characters. Yes. To me, and I don't know if this is intentional, but to me, they both kind of fill this older brother position in the show. Uh-huh. And one presents presents kind of strong but mm-hmm. is actually tender and remains true to who he is throughout the show mm-hmm. the other one presents strong but is actually truly damaged on the inside and and afraid. that afraid and it and it shows i mean he basically goes insane and tries to kill people yeah. right at a certain point and he splits at the end of this so he's gone he's gone literally splits he literally he's cracks torn in half. half by the void oh i didn't see oh you're right yeah. i f- totally forgot about that <laughs> in the attic he's i just, just yeah, I think there's something interesting about them, the Duffers or whoever, I guess the Duffers created those characters, but yeah. them deciding to put these two older brother characters mm-hmm. in the show and play them out in very different ways. Mm-hmm. And though Eddie is kind of a wimp, he ends up proving how good of a heart he has, where the other character, um, Jason, is... Cowardly. In a way, yeah. And it's, you know, he obviously, he goes through something very traumatic as well. His yeah. girlfriend dies and I'm not, I don't want to take away from the true pain that he went through, but mm-hmm. Eddie also went through pain, you know, similar. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting to see both of those kind of characters that we look up to maybe if we were the kids in the show and uh, if they mm-hmm. play well, out and they, they were in the show, like, yeah. uh, for instance, Dustin looked up towards Eddie and in the beginning, Lucas saw Jason as that older brother figure, so... Yeah. It was a perfect like compare and contrast. It's and the, totally yeah, true. the element that Steve always plays is interesting as also the other older brother. This the moments between Steve and Eddie talking were really fascinating, talking about how they view the younger crowd. It's almost like they're like, Yeah, they're they're really you know, they're cute. Like they're they they're cute. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> <laughs> we love them. They're so yeah. they're so rad. Babysitting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um the only gripe I would say that I have with this season was it was really unclear to me what was happening in the end yeah in the in the wrap-up yeah after they did like the two days later i thought it was a dream yeah because you see l go into max's mind and i was thinking is this all in max's head or l's head like because it felt so out of left field and i couldn't tell like what was happening for the last half hour of the show it was strange that up until the very last moment on the hill when they were looking back toward hawkins that no character acknowledged the cracks in the middle of Hawkins or the fact that they might be portals to the Upside Down. That was really strange to me. And I, I was like wondering why the Duffer Brothers made that choice. I'd love to ask them, but... They did talk about the the um, earthquake magnitude unlike anything they've ever seen and also people that died. Right. But yeah, they're not totally clear that like, also there's a fiery pit of hell that just opened up. Yeah, you know, it's exactly, like exactly. people could have died in houses that were shook or... Yeah, it was a little unclear. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But up until that moment, it was like a perfect season to me. Even yeah. though, and I don't, when I say it's long, I don't mean that as a derogatory remark. It was long and it was awesome. Like I loved almost every second of this season and I it was damn near perfect for me. But the last half hour, there was so many ambiguous statements the Duffer Brothers made in the writing and directing that I was like, wait, what, wait, what's happening? Like, how is it finishing? There is a lot up in the air, yeah. for sure. I, I also think the length of the episodes was something to get used to. Yes. And I think played out really 
in its favor for a lot of the show. Yeah. But I will say for me in the finale, I actually lost track of the time. And when the show, when Elle kind of had her final altercation with Vecna and that ended, it seemed mm-hmm. to just keep going on. Mm-hmm. And then it was just going on and it kept going on. And it yeah. wasn't like, I wasn't sad that it continued. It was just, I was just a little bit confused on like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, there, oh my God. And then we looked at one point, it was like, there's still like, whatever, 40 minutes left in the show. Or <laughs> it might have even been a little more, but. The whole wrap up was like around the 30 minute mark. Okay, yeah. And at the hour, the hour mark was right before Eddie plays Master of Puppets, which was so that was sick. so sick. That was like one of the coolest. Was, I was waiting till we would talk about that. That was definitely the <laughs> highlight of the show for it me. It was so rad. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any previous attachment with Metallica? Um, Metallica, first of all, the name is preposterous. <laughs> it's the only band name I've ever heard that has the genre in the name of the band. Uh, yeah. Like, Weezer isn't called, like, Indieka. But was, was it called that when Metallica formed? Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I, uh, Metallica's great. I mean, what can, I'm, who am I? They're, uh, you know, they're one of the big four. They're one of the, they're probably the biggest metal band or one of the biggest metal bands of all time. I think Master of Puppets has got to be one of the most popular metal songs of all time. Um, I think I saw they were the biggest touring band of all time. In sure. Terms of I wouldn't be surprised. Money brought in. I don't know if that's accurate. But. I actually, I like Master of Puppets. I think it's a good song. It's a yeah. good album. Um, they seem thrilled with its use, too. Dude, well, yeah. They're looking for energy wherever it's coming yeah. from. Yeah. But they're still a band. Yeah. They're still playing. I, yeah, they... <laughs> Metallica 2? Yeah, there you go. Let's Revenge see. of Metallica. I heard the yeah. son of the guitarist played the solo part where where the, the actor Joseph Quinn couldn't play the rest of the, the Master of Puppets song. Sure. Because he actually has played guitar his whole life, he said. Joseph, really? Joseph Quinn. Oh, I didn't and know that. And he learned how to play everything that he could yeah but when they st- when he starts soloing on, yeah. on the guitar they actually brought the i think it was the son of the guitarist from metallica i think it was the bassist son okay i oh um danny true he was in infectious grooves i can't remember the, his name right now for the some fact reason, that but... it's even on the tip of your tongue is so impressive to me i know zero things about metallica anyway i know that their <laughs> name is metallica and that their song is master of Puppets. like what's the other big song by metallica probably enter sandman would be another big one yeah there's a bunch. One is big. Um, there's a bunch. But yeah, that was a really cool moment. That was so cool. That was so, and I just, can we just gush about that for one second? Sure. I loved that they figured out a way to, to make a music video in the middle of the show, and it actually worked. <laughs> I know. They, he actually gets to play a solo in hell with red lightning and bats, and like, it just... It was mind-blowing. Like... Yeah, I, I, I'm sure for a lot of people it felt a little too on the nose, but it was perfect. Yeah. It really was. I didn't... And then they get done, and they have this high-five moment, and they don't even... It's not even grammatically correct. It, what does he say? That was the most metal. <laughs> perfect! That's what you would say. You would just say that to each other. That was you would just say, metal to each <laughs> yeah. other. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I didn't even know that you had watched the finale. You texted me the next morning and said, Just two texts. Master! Yeah. Master! <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? What's happening? <laughs> oh, oh, puppets. 
<laughs> it was so sick. Yeah. There's just so many cool moments in this season. The other really cool moment, like the best, it was considered, especially before the last two episodes dropped, to be the best episode in Stranger Things so far was episode four, mm-hmm. which was the one that featured Running Up That Hill by Kate Bush, where Max listens to that song to escape being killed by Vecna, and she runs through the portal back towards her friends. Great moment. Yeah, it was so cool. Yeah. And Kate Bush has had like a crazy yeah. amount of success. I think resurgence. Yeah, I think <laughs> there was that meme. I think you you've seen it by now. How Marty McFly is playing? What is it, Johnny B. Good? Yeah, Johnny and B. Good. No one understands like what he's playing, and then he goes, "Don't worry, your kids will love it." Yeah, but it's Kate Bush. <laughs> it's Kate Bush is yeah. running up that hill because I guess when that song first dropped. It was like barely in the top 30. Yeah. And now it was like number one in the UK for like weeks on end. It's always been like a a deep cut. Yeah. Like fans like it. And I think, you know, people that are into kind of into music know about it. But yeah, popular culture maybe didn't. song great song yeah yeah i think she's made like two hundred fifty thousand dollars a week off of it oh my gosh she's rolling in it dude she's stoked that's awesome she's british i didn't know she was british i really like to um going off that moment you were talking about i i really like the set design and the overall feel for vecna's like domain Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um it reminds me a lot of i think it's either the second or third hellraiser where they actually go into like hell and there's like this big labyrinth and there's all these kind of like stone monolith like uh, walls and i don't know it just has this kind of grim cold otherworldliness to it that's so 80s and it's hard to kind of pinpoint what it is but wet yeah wet yeah that's that's a big part very cronenberg like gooey yeah Yeah, wet yeah all the writhing tendrils yeah which i feel like the tendrils are like pinheads chains yeah yeah because like you know he floats and all the tendrils come out of him that's kind of like pinhead would like have all the chains coming out of him that's probably exactly what it is honestly and then there's like the there's the one i can't remember her name there's one of the cenobites is like the woman and like it's kind of like splitting down her scalp sorry it's kind of gross but (laughs) you can see like the white of her skull and that's like vecna's head too yeah there's just a bunch of that Dude, like, fan service. I've watched a bunch of behind the scenes and that whole set yeah. was mostly practical. I saw Apart that. from like the red and black skies and like Crazy. the thundering skies. The floating like, debris. The, and the floating debris. But like the spiral staircase, the door, all that stuff. They actually had those things to interact with on set. Apart from like the fact that the background's green screen. And then Vecna's whole... I watched like a half hour behind the scenes on like Vecna, how they applied the makeup and stuff. They got the people that did the Night King from Game of Thrones to do this and make like this iconic villain suit. Or it's it's actually all prosthetic. It's not even a suit that he goes in. It's all like layers that they had to put on as makeup. Uh, It took like, you know, I think it was like four to six hours a day. And then after they applied it, 
the only thing that was really exposed was his nose, which they had painted black with white dots on, and they took his nose off yeah. in visual effects. And then they also sprayed him to make him like wet. Like they put like a goo on yes. him, mm-hmm. and so they wanted him to appear like shiny and wet. Like the he 80s was, was like, very wet. Yeah, it was wet really time. wet. Wet time. Well, wet. Life. Wet also has a lot to say with like gothic and noir kind of aspects of film too. Because why is when, that? Uh, I don't know. Just in noir, it's always raining. It's like oh yeah, you know, it's always like. Huh until you get to like a daytime scene but like at night it's always wet it like like think about the batman like matt, yeah. Re- matt reeves batman yeah it's always f-ing raining in you're that right thing. you're right and so and all those horror movies in the 80s are always wet yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's just a thing it's it's part it's part of the texture of the aesthetic it's visceral of, yeah it's a yeah. visceral thing this elemental is, if you guys recall when the like you know the clock yeah That sound design is sick. Okay, that the sound gong. design. So even from the promo marketing for this season, I was really interested in what they were doing. Because like season three, like we were saying, had the mall theme. Season two had like the Ghostbusters at Halloween kind of theme. Mm-hmm. And season one was doing its own thing with the Christmas lights and stuff. That's right. And so season four had this lure of like the grandfather clock and the haunted house haunted house and i was like oh my gosh that's such a sweet aesthetic and i'm really hoping season five does like another thing like that like what but i can't imagine exactly i can't imagine what the only thing i can think that it would be would be like a post-apocalyptic feeling like a post-apocalyptic town you know like like almost like zombie-esque Okay, like, like George like Romero, not, not a Living Dead. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. Because I, I Dawn can't, of the Dead. I can't imagine what else it would be. Yeah, that's well, a Hawkins pretty... is fucked. So yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, because if they go too much into like some of the Vecna's like origin stuff, started to get a little cosmic and spacey, which mm-hmm. is fine. But if you go too far into that, it's gonna feel like Aliens, mm-hmm. and they probably don't want to go that route. Yeah, dude, Aliens when. I saw season one and my mind started racing about like the potential of what was going on in that lab. I was thinking, Oh, apart from like telekinetic telepathic people, maybe they have aliens in like another subsect of that lab. Maybe there's like a bunch of other stuff. And I was like, it would be so sick if they like had other sci-fi elements that they were experimenting on besides just telekinetic kids. You you want the like, uh, X-Files. X-Files, or I was going to yeah. say Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Like how there's the whole facility. And I want a werewolf. Yeah, you I want a werewolf. Yeah. You want a Frankenstein. I want a slime a, monster. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I want a merman. <laughs> Not the merman. Yeah. Did you see that movie? I love that I movie. I love that movie. It's so good. Was that Joss Whedon? Yeah. 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 That's got to be probably one of the best Joss Whedon things. Was that Chris Hemsworth too? Yeah. Gosh, was he it? Was, he was the jock. Oh, man. I got to watch that again. Young, Dude, younger. That's cool. It's just, such a good movie. It's really good. Yeah. But yeah, I can't say enough good things about this season. I would say I think I still think season three is my favorite personally, but that's because I'm a sucker for mall stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a kink. That's, yeah. It's a, <laughs> that's a whole nother issue. Uh, mall stuff, please. Mall, uh, mall stuff. More mall stuff. But yeah, season four was, was right up there with season one for me. Easy. I'm surprised every season. Every season they outdo themselves and I'm always like, okay, probably need to prepare myself for the come down now and every single season it's always like sure. okay bigger better crazier yeah inch more interesting uh, the duffer brothers have also been on record saying season five will be shorter okay. than this season i think this was like when jk rowling was writing harry potter order of phoenix which was the fifth book 
was the longest book in the series and then six and seven were shorter and i think it's kind of the same thing here it's like the, the penultimate where it's like a lot of stories telling a lot Makes of structure sense. yeah a lot of yeah. a lot of tentpole pieces especially if they want to spin off into other stuff it might be time to kind of wrap up the story yeah yeah it, it feels like they just said it like the cards are on the table now the way season four ends is just to set the stage for five sure. which feels like it could even just be a few episodes we're in the end game now yeah <laughs> We are in the Indian now. <laughs> I hope left. I hope we see more of Argyle. Yeah. That oh that little bit where they went to Susie's house. Yeah. And he like fell in love with uh yeah. who's the black haired yeah. girl from from Breakfast Club? The goth chick. Uh, uh, C- Sheedy. Yeah yeah yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. She looks like Susie and the Banshees. Yes. Yeah. It was it was the funniest. Like I was just rolling. I want more of her. Yeah. Can we get like her in the next season? I saw uh, behind the scenes with Amy talking about like yeah. the inspiration for all the wardrobe and stuff, and she had mentioned that Ali Sheedy from Breakfast Club was the inspiration for that character, and then Molly Ringwald. Molly Ringwald for the red-haired girl that Robin's in love with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was gonna quickly mention beforehand the the random kind of like rah rah USA army like guns and ammo store that they went to in episode eight that was interesting that was interesting i wonder how that came together the timing seemed a little impeccable Uh uh-huh curious about that but Uh uh-huh yeah i mean it's hard to imagine they'd be able to throw something like that together quickly that seemed like a big set piece lots of extras that's true I'm wondering if it was a, a store that existed in Georgia because they filmed sure. most of this in Georgia. I'm sure it was. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, can we, do we have time to talk fan theories? Yeah. Let's talk about theories. So there's a theory that I've heard and I like it. It's, it's that Max's mind is, is gone somewhere that it's, she's either traveling the astral plane or she's still stuck in Vecna's zone whether i don't know is his zone in his mind i'm never quite sure because they refer to the astral plane but they don't ever name it that in the show i don't think they always talk about going into each other's minds Mm -hmm. but i've always understood an astral plane is like a collective space that minds that psychic energy can enter yeah sure hard to totally know what that means but i kind of wonder maybe eddie's psychically somewhere also Uh. (laughs) You so well, badly want maybe, him to be alive. Yeah, right? <laughs> We're coping hard now. You know, uh, maybe just, ooh, reaching. Maybe he gets a he gets a Valhalla moment where yeah. he dies gloriously in battle, and he's rewarded by living on in the astral plane or something. That'd be rad. Yeah, Valhalla. But Max could be somewhere. Yeah, I think what they'll probably do. I feel like the most logical thing, especially what they've established with Vecna having like the way he talks about his victims is like they're part of him now. Right. Seems like he has has her soul in limbo. Okay. And wherever that place is, whether it's the I think it's plane. in his mind. Okay. That's how I interpret sure. it. Sure. So we're gonna save Max probably in season five. I would be surprised if they brought Max back early in the season. I feel like she could be like saved to be recovered by the end of season five and she'd be like in the finale episode of season five. But if she came back earlier, I'd be like, wow, they really brought her back quick. Hmm. I really, this might sound like I'm a dick, but I hope she doesn't make like a full physical recovery. That would really. No, no, no. I, for me. I think, I think you're right. I think there's something innate within a lot of the fans who have responded to the show. It's like, there's a lot of characters and it seems like there's been hardly any repercussions to the actions of like, we need some real consequences, real consequences. Yeah. And, and I think it was a good move to break all of her limbs. I was going to say, if they hadn't, we would probably be f- having a different conversation right now. 
Yeah. Yeah. Totally. They, they real stakes. Got to be real. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was actually. I mean, Gabe and I watched it together for a little bit, and we were thinking the whole time like. Is it going to be Steve? Is it going to be Nancy? Is it going to be... Because they were, they were setting it up hard. Like, is it going to be Eddie? Is it going to be Dustin? There's only a few characters I think it couldn't be. Yeah. And at some point, Eddie was, like, getting eaten out by the bats. And we were like, Steve's still going to die somehow. He's going to die. And then Eddie's going to, like, live. There's no way. Eddie's going to replace Steve. And then that's not what happened. It was like it was like a very. I, I, yeah, I kind of wondered if Eddie would replace Steve, too. But It was, like, almost like the most cookie-cutter way you could end it i think so without killing all of your main characters i think so it was it was the most kind of straightforward play for them yeah but i will say that is very true to the source material of 80s movies yes they are often very rote and um it felt 80s it also felt like they i feel like stranger things going back i know we kind of already covered this but every season always kind of ends with this hallmark moment where they wrap things up. Like it is an after school special from the eighties. And I mm-hmm. feel like that was done here again, but it was like a little confusing if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to wrap it up that way again. Yeah. It was confusing. I think mainly because of how the information was disclosed to the audience and it wasn't a happy ending. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway. they've never tried to set so much up at the end of a season too. That's true. Like that is every true. season is kind of wrapped up pretty neatly. Yeah, with a tease. We had Will throwing up the slug in yeah. season one. That's right. We had season two. There was after the dance. There was a pullback. Oh, that was and the best. There, one. there was the lightning, and there was like the, the spider in the sky. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that whole thing was so. And good. season three, I can't remember the tease. I don't think there was one. Honestly, in season three. It was it was all of them leaving to go their separate ways. Yeah, that was the only. I guess it just yeah. fell yeah. over. Yeah. So, but this was entirely dedicated to giving us our fifth season. Yep, like, absolutely. I wouldn't even say there was really any closure. <laughs> it was yeah. just like, get ready, season five. It's all coming down. Yeah, and I do wonder how long it's going to take to produce. Me too. I know that it was a nightmare this first time. Dude, around. I could I could just imagine. I heard so many things for years yeah. about how challenging it was to pull this of COVID? off. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, COVID and also like, like every episode being longer uh-huh. and then the last one being a two and a half hour film. There was some political stuff that went down too. There was a lot of yeah. things interrupted. So yeah. Yeah. Also, I'm sure now that the cast is getting bigger, they're starting to get other jobs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But a scheduling conflict maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I would say that they're all in contract they're, to be available yeah. for the show. When you're part of something this great. What else are you skipping off to? Yeah. What are you, yeah it's not it's like, you're going to do another Enola Holmes? Like, what are you doing? Oh, no. Did anyone actually watch that? Yeah. It was a huge hit for Netflix. Oh. They're doing a sequel. Stay corrected. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yes, you do. Did you watch it? No, no, no. Yeah. I thought about it because I think Henry Cavill's Sherlock Holmes in it, right? Oh, yeah. So I wanted to watch it for him, but I heard he was only in it for a little bit. Anyway. Earlier I mentioned some of the examples that season one pulled from, but this season was pulling from inspirations like we had said previously, like Nightmare on Elm Street, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Mm. Evil Dead, Mm -hmm. Xanadu. Really? Which I've never seen. Carrie. Yeah. Halloween. Mm -hmm. Again, while doing sort of like a very vampiric and gothic thing. 
And all of this is supposed to take place in 1986. Yeah. It's supposed to be one year for every season, oh, starting in 83. There was Hopper and Dimitri are talking about escaping the first time. Yeah. And Hopper refers to Steve McQueen yeah. and, like, the great escape, yeah. John Dillinger. Uh-huh. And, like, him riding that motorcycle up the hill was, right. like, totally, like, straight out of, the, like when he drives the dirt bike over the fence or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I just thought that was cool because that would be Hopper's idea of being yeah, a badass yeah. because he's older, you know? Yeah. And again, I know it's like maybe everyone's like, duh, but no, 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 that's, it's a nice attention to detail. That's a great attention to detail. There's a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. Attention to detail wise in this show. Apparently, there was one little mistake. They put the birthday of Will. Oh, I heard that in the the time code in the video camera that was filming Elle while she was being made fun of on the floor for roller skating. They actually had the same date as Will's birthday on that camcorder that they had mentioned uh, seasons ago in the show. And, but not one person mentioned, "Oh, like, hey, birthday, happy birthday, Will. We're here for your birthday or anything like that." And <laughs> The Duffer Brothers were like, we might uh, pull a George Lucas and go back and... Go and edit that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, edit that. Because... They're only human after all. Yeah. And that is one thing I will say is, for all the haters, like, it's a it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. I mean, to pull these things together and to go archive and... I mean, it's just... I know even just from Amy doing wardrobe, like, mm-hmm. they go into deep, deep, deep research to figure out all these detail points and mm-hmm. it's tough. She was saying that she tries to get as many actual like vintage yeah, pieces as and possible and then they recreate them which is so cool yeah i love that that's how so the other piece that i did i know we kind of already talked about this but i i uh oh, the scantron piece yeah i drew this like shirt that dustin wears and it's got all these little scantron bubbles on it and it was supposed to be like dustin was bored in class and he kind of doodled in his favorite like zelda character or or maybe characters from like an atari 2600 or like a manual from like an old video game or something yeah and uh, i was gonna say that um (laughs) me and my wife actually were the ones that sat and got to doodle in all those bubbles together so i guess they had to go and recreate a couple different Oh. copies in case it got destroyed or whatever sure. when they filmed but I just thought that was a fun little thing to add in I think this was the first season where we got the mention of Nintendo as well yeah 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 and I was like oh because Nintendo hit like it's really unclear when it actually hit because it was in Japan before it came to America okay but it was like 85 86 87 88 yeah you know, 89 like one yeah, of those like, years when did the wizard come out yeah like uh I own that movie I love the wizard. <laughs> oh it's 89 there you go yeah Oh, so here's the other fan theory. Are we going to get a time hop? Okay, I have read one thing that the Duff Brothers have said. At one point, they're going to do a time hop between season four and season five. But where they left it, it's at such a cliffhanger. It's like, are they going to wait three years to resolve the burning of Hawkins? You know, like what's... So <laughs> totally. I, I'm like, I don't think they can really time hop now. I feel like they put themselves into a corner. Yeah, because if they like started out season five with like last time on Stranger Things and then they're like, 
Yeah, for three years it sucked, but now we're in 1989. Vecna finally reared like, his head. Yeah. <laughs> and we got him, coach. <laughs> they could do some nonlinear storytelling and like jump around. Yeah. They could. Like start later on and then go back and the thing show that, what happened. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. No, the no, thing that intrigued me about the time hop is then it really would tie back to it pretty well. Mm. And you would get the kind of adult kid play. And they'd be able to, Lucas would be able to be salty and disgruntled. And we would hear, you know, Lucas's experience with Max would have left him scarred for the rest of his life. And you would see him as an adult and he's like wounded and scarred. And, you know, I don't know. That could have been interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I like the idea of the it time hop. That's cool. You mean casting like older characters? Possibly. I mean, or they're just old enough. But yeah, probably. Do you think they cast Bill Hader again? It's Finn Wolfhard. That'd be dope. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> it Chapter 2, for all its faults, the casting was Impeccable. so good. Yeah, super good. I liked the new It. I guess Chapter 2 was a little lacking. The first one was good. Well, what else? Nothing? We good? That's all I got. That's all she wrote. I going to shout out Jamie Kimball Bauer for his performance as Henry. When he's doing his monologue in Episode 7, and I think it's like Philip Glass's Prophecies from Watchmen comes on. It's like this. Uh, this yeah. is hitting. This is hitting good. Prophecies from Watchmen. Yeah, you know that that synth track that goes. It's the Doctor Manhattan theme when he's talking. Like, Isn't that Koyana Scotsy? Yeah, Philip Glass oh, did the score. Okay, 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 okay. Yes, that's why I was like, because I heard that and I was it's like, iconic. whoa, this is a deep cut. Yeah, like I don't. I only saw this because of my weird art friend that mm-hmm. showed it to me a long time ago. But yeah, yeah, it's in in uh, Zack Snyder's Watchmen. Right. Yeah. Right. That's what he was saying. Yeah. I just wanted to say one other thing. Uh, even though we've already discussed at length how, like, both visually visceral this sh- this season has been, and also, like, tonally how dark it is, the subject matter itself, like, on a literal, like, a scripting level is pretty heavy. Max's battle with, like, depression and suicidal thoughts in particular was a really, uh, I don't want to say, like, maybe brave, maybe would be the actual proper word take here, because, like... Sometimes you see that in media and it's just kind of like mm. shock value. Or glossed over. Yeah, but her, her specifically, her journey in this season was really powerful for me. And seeing her like wrestle with her life and her relationship with Billy and mm. her stuff in Dear Billy in episode seven and then how, or episode four, and then how it plays out through the finale uh, with Lucas and like finding reasons to live and mm-hmm. all that stuff was, I thought, the most mature and impressive storytelling this show has done uh thus far in a nutshell that's a really good point i i even felt at times like come on max snap out of it and that even feels like i'm just i'm like a a friend of hers in real life and i'm like come on what's the big deal but she's still dealing with it not in anyone else's timeline only her own timeline sort of thing yeah. Yeah. And she's always pulling back from her friends who are like, like you said, they're, they're trying to reach right. out, but What's she just. What's the deal? Open up. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I felt the same way when they first played the Kate Bush song, Running Up That Hill. I had never heard that song before. Mm-hmm. And so in the line, if I only could make a deal with God to swap places, I was interpreting that as, oh, she's listening to the song thinking, I would want to swap places with Billy mm-hmm. that she would want to swap places with Billy because she's still reeling from what had happened from the previous year with Billy. You know, I think that song choice was just takes it to a whole nother level when you think of it that way, you yeah. know, as being something that potentially she was 
listening to over and over thinking about Billy going, I wish I could swap places or, or, you know, have a different outcome from what happened and how traumatizing it was for her. Yeah. And then her finishing her arc with ultimately deciding that she wants to live was really powerful too. And I was just going to say, not just her connection with Lucas, but like to, to realize that she, because sometimes it takes those experiences, those near death experiences or those deep places where you can have that introspection and, and realize that like, that you really do want to be alive. And Max has those moments throughout the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. That's why it was so heartbreaking for her to be maimed in the mm-hmm. way that she was by Vecna. Mm-hmm. Cause she's like calling out to Lucas and she's like, I want to live. Like I want to be alive. Right. And I was like that, that's what made it so devastating for me. Mm. Yeah. That's a good point. Honestly, like the hardest stuff to watch in the show was Max's stuff for you. Yeah. Max like being brutalized by psychic demon Vecna. Yeah. That was tough. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, really good. It was good. Season four on Netflix now. It's a good. I've been actually one of the original things I should say before we end that I wanted to, when I thought about making a podcast or doing a podcast, I was always like, I just want to cover like Stranger Things one day. <laughs> the fact that we finally get to do it, I'm just so stoked to even talk about it at all. Steven drops the mic. Yeah. If, if in the end, the podcast when all is said and done and every you know everything's over <laughs> we're dead and uh, if we if we could have covered all of the like most precious ips to me i'll be super happy and i'm really glad that we at least got to do this episode yeah is there anything else that you desperate? we haven't done did well, you I mean, do the like, new Jurassic Park, Steven? Yes. Oh, it was a funeral. <laughs> it, was a, it was a wake. It was a send-off. <laughs>Do you think they'll play Enter Sandman in the Sandman show? I hope not. On Netflix? I hope not. <laughs> I, I, it wouldn't really make sense, but maybe. Trevor's a big Sandman guy. Oh, I can't wait. It's crazy that I feel like every all we've ever talked about on this podcast with you is Netflix properties. That is true. Castlevania yeah. and now this and Retirement I, I definitely have a type and it's <laughs> dark and it's fantastical. Yeah. <laughs> and metal. Yeah. <laughs>